Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. last week as God takes us into this series and really what we are looking at in this book is there's so much to look at especially in these first few chapters is what does it mean to be a Christian in this world because the Bible says in John 17 well we are of this world we're in this world but we're not of this world and it's this whole cons- uh, kind of con- what do you call it confusing dynamic we kind of called to live our lives out in this world and yet so much of where we draw our life from and how we engage is different and Gabe presented last week that well we have options we do a number of things. We abandon the world. We kind of say, well, I'm done with the world. I'm going to hide behind the four walls of the church. It's me and my life group. We're going to hang out. We're going to do everything together. And as long as I've got them, I'm all good. Then there's other options. You assimilate with the world and you become like the world and you take on those traits and those avenues and you understand that actually there's no impact or change and you fall off another side of the bus there. A guy named Ed Stetzer who is a very clever man in the light of church and, and advancing the gospel, he presents that we actually engage the world as the church in four different ways. And these ways lay out and they present the way that our posture is towards the world. They present the way that our tone is towards the world. And it starts with this. First of all, we're condemning. And if you ask unbelievers, often that might be a word that will pitch up, is that the church becomes condemning of the world around them. Like, we've got it, we've got Jesus, we've got the answers, we've got this thing, and we condemn everything that we don't see our fingerprints on. The second challenge is we go down a road of critiquing. We become the commentators, the Nick Mallets of everyone else's game. And I don't think that's our job either. That we spend our energies critiquing the world all over Facebook. Did you see what that guy did? Hashtag, whoa. There's a whole bunch of challenges with that as well. We start copying the world. And we go down a road where actually everything the world does, the church looks no different. And the church engages dynamics and challenges and dilemmas no different to the world around us. And we start copying the world around us. And the last option we have is we consume the world. We just become consumers of everything the world is to throw of us. And we get into really dangerous waters. Here's the challenge with all of these. They all determine our posture. They all determine our demeanor. They all determine our first response. I can say to Jonah, hey, Jonah, I love you. Or I can say, hey, Jonah, love you. I was like, I love you. See the difference? You got it? (laughs) Our posture and how we engage the world is so important for the mission of God that God calls us into. And here's what's a quote I found this week from a book I read many years ago. It's called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire from a guy named Jim Simbler. And he says this, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. At the center of this Daniel's story is this great big desire that actually I read about Daniel and he stands out and he's this young man who has influence into a world where he is an exile himself. And I go, I want that God. I want that. And then I, I carry on and, and chapter 2 comes and, and Nebuchadnezzar the king has a dream. And he says, I'm going to go a different way this time. What I'm going to do this time is my wise guys must come and tell me what the dream was about and then interpret it. Never done that before. And he says, but there's just a catch. If you don't get it right, you're gone. So obviously they freak out and all the, the interpreters and the astrologists and all these clever guys come back and say, king, but no king's ever asked that before. He says, actually, I don't care. 
I don't care. I want you to tell me what the dream was. I want to know that there's something real. And, and in the background, Daniel is thrown into this group. He's part of this group. And he says, actually, I, I can help that. And God gives him this ability with dreams and visions to not just interpret the dream, but actually bring the dream to the king, will ultimately will usher in the new kingdom anyway. But the king goes, wow. And the king allows him to worship his God, and actually he gets promotion in that story. And then we land in chapter 3. And I'm navigating us there a little bit quickly because I don't want to go through all the things. Please don't wait for Sunday to read. It's actually the first six chapters of Daniel are great reading. It's history books. They are history of a story that actually happened. Central to getting this book is this one belief. It actually happened. I'm being serious. If, If this didn't happen, it's just a great another Hollywood story. I honestly believe Daniel, Meshach, Shabrach, and Abednego, they lived, they walked. And at this time, they were 18. And in this chapter, at this time in history, they encountered a king who wanted to throw them in a fiery furnace. I honestly believe there was a man named Daniel who was thrown into a pit with lions and God closed the lion's mouth and he stood there because Jesus was with them and the Spirit of God was in I honestly believe that. And honestly believing that, I'm going, God, actually, I want to live a life and I want to live stories. And in my lifetime, I want to see those miracles. I want to see those things. And I want to read from Daniel 3 together. I'm going to set it up, and we're just going to read from verse 8. But what happens is the king makes this big statue. He puts all his money, all his wealth, and, and what he calls is he calls the biggest party ever. He calls them all together, all the halves, the liars, the zithers. Still don't know what that is. Have you got one, Brett? You don't have one in your business. Zither. You should get one. And... Um, and he says, every time those things sing out, every time those things ring out, what I want, Warren Smith, you're here. You're like everywhere. You were there, and now you're here. Lovely to see you. And, um, and uh, every time these ring out, what I want you to do is I want every one of my officials and my prefects and those that are senior in the land to fall flat on their faces and worship this idol, this new God that I have created. It's a radical ask. And then we encounter these three young men who've actually said, no, that's not going to be our story. Can we read from verse 8? Can we stand together? Is that all right? At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lion, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. Neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lion, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace, Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The boys replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then God will serve. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, 
We want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up. Robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the flaming furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and answered his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, Certainly, yes, majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out, come here. So they came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, and governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed, their robes was not scorched, and there no smell of their fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that God of any nation or language who saying anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save this way. Then the king promoted them. Wow. Say wow. Wow. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? The closest I've ever come to that encounter was actually at a camp. And I've never not used to a a gas heater, not Cape Tonian. I was doing it. I said, instead of turning it off on the top, I stuck my hand around the back, wound off the the cylinder at the heater, and a flame came up the back that singed my whole arm, the side of my face, and my hair. I smelt for quite a while after that. The closest I've ever come to that encounter. But God pulls these guys into a big, big story. You know what the amazing thing about this? Is when it all went down and when the king made his demand, they were actually in a great place. They were being promoted. They had favor. They were influence, influences. They had good food. They had all the privileges of this land. And yet God pulls them into the story. And a king comes says, actually, you need to bow down. And they are forced into a situation where they have to make a decision. A couple of points out of this, and then we'll be done. First of all, we worship before a watching world. All the time. We are always worshiping for a watching world. I'm not talking about worship on Sunday. See, worship on Sunday is easy. Worship on Sunday is for us, to the church, to gather. It's easy. It's the easier part of our worship. We gather, and we can worship God. When I was 15, I was standing in an auditorium, about 1,200, 1,300 people, worshiping my heart out. And we had this guest speaker. And he came, and while he was preaching, he just stopped, and he pointed to me and said, Young man, it's easy to worship now. If you're still worshiping in 20 years' time, that's what matters. You go, wow. He's right. And we engaged the story of these three young men who the commentators say are probably no older than 18 years old. They had their whole life ahead of them, and there's this one demand that the penalty for which, the demand to worship this God, to fall flat on their faces, the penalty is death. It's a radical thing. And the challenge is, there's always people watching. So these guys see them not falling down, and they bring them before the king and say, but these guys, king, 
These guys who you have given privilege. These guys who you have given opportunity. These guys who actually are our enemies. You've given promotion within the land of Babylon. These guys won't worship your God. They're actually disrespecting you. It's a challenge. This life that we live and that we're called to live, going on a journey, becoming like Jesus is challenging. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, give up your need to be understood by everyone. Just give it up. Don't negotiate with it. Don't play with it. Give it up. Had to give it up many times. Give up your need to be liked by every single person you encounter. You're looking at that guy. I spent my young years of life doing stupid things like sticking my head in a bucket of whitewash as an eight-year-old because my mates thought it was funny. It's not a clever thing to do. I want to be liked. I want to be understood. I want people to feel like they can engage me. And yet I promise you, in becoming a disciple of Jesus, there will be moments like this where God forces it out of us. Actually, we've got to put our hands up and say, we're not like this world. We're different. I used to do a job, um, and, and part of my job was marketing. We would go around the country and do launches. And we'd go to five or six different cities in, in our nation. We'd fly in and around the week. We'd do a launch. And then part of the deal was all the sales agents would be there. I'd do the launch. Then because I had the marketing budget, I would take them to lunch. That was the deal. That had been done for years after years after years. And they knew these little upstart marketers, I was probably 24, 25, would come and they would pay the bill. So I arrived in the morning, and just about, we're about to start, I'm about to do the launch, the PowerPoint's on, it's all good, we're all ready to go, here's all your new products for the summer. I just say to the guy, hey, where are we going for lunch? And he tells me a name of a restaurant. And I'm going, it doesn't sound like a Burger King. It sounds slightly and somewhat more exotic than the Beef Baron as well. It sounds like a place where there might be more entertainment than food. So I ask him, tell me a little bit more about this place. There's no great steaks. So I get up and I do the presentation. After the presentation, I go down to the sales manager who oversaw about 30 guys. And there's about 30 guys, just guys in the room. I present. I walk up and say, can you tell me about this restaurant? Is it a strip club? He says, yes, it's a strip club. We go every year. I said, I'm sorry, but I can't take you to a strip club. He says, no, we go every year, the managers know about it, marketing pays, and the sales guys get on board. I said, I'm sorry, but I won't take you to a slip club, strip club. So he phones my MD, who had just promoted me and was forced into a corner because she had promoted me against a few odds, and um, she had to back me. And she was a female lady. And so he phones her, and by the grace of God, she backed me. And so the restaurant changed. It made for a very awkward afternoon. I was 25, 24 years old with a bunch of guys who were older than me, more experienced, and this was their justifiable moment of chaos, paid for by their company, and I was just supposed to provide. But I couldn't do it. I'm not telling you the story to, to magnify myself. I'm telling you the story because at 14, I encountered the King of Kings, and I was forever changed. I've seen him heal deaf ears. I've seen him heal eyes. I've seen him heal broken bodies. I've seen him heal lives that were totally broken. And I cannot deny that in a moment because I need some people to like me. I just couldn't. I wanted to. See, there were a whole bunch of King Nebuchadnezzar shouting. One of them is self. I like being liked. I don't know about you, but I like being liked. There are other kings that are shouting. What about man's opinion? See, this guy has been in the business for about 20 years. He was more senior to myself, and yet I held the credit card that should pay for it. And his opinion actually mattered in certain circles. What about the, the king of ambition? 
I was ambitious. I never wanted to be a pastor. I wasn't coming up with the story so that one day I could preach it. At the time, it was just my job. At the time, it was the career I'd chosen, what God had taken me to. And that was my opportunity to influence. And I didn't really want that opportunity right then and there, if I'm being brutally honest. It wasn't one I would have chosen. And everything was at stake, to be honest. What about the... What's that? Even the steak was at stake. I'm getting steak and steak mixed up. It's all good. Let me give, be really honest. What about the king Nebuchadnezzar of being 24 and inquisitive? I'd never been to a strip club, by the grace of God. I'd had opportunities. I'd, and I was inquisitive. And I was in a foreign city where no one would know. Who would find out? Just being honest. Let's process these things. Who would have found out if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had got down on their knees in some place away from their nation? They just got on their knees and they would have justified every rational reality. God, I'm 18. Surely you don't want me to die now. See, I was doing the same thing. Hey, God, surely you don't want all these guys to not like me. You want me to have influence in them. But there are moments and times where God is going to bring the fiery furnace to your face and you have to stand in front of it and make a decision to choose Jesus because there's only one way through. It's Him. And he's not going to circumvent the fire, stop praying for you to take him to take you around the fire or some secret false coals that aren't hot. He's going to take us through the fire. And God's going to challenge us. And I'm telling you, the world is watching and they're looking for him and they want to see him in your life. They want to see him. They need to see him. Secondly, what we bow to, we end up being bound to. It's a reality. It says, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? King Nebuchadnezzar's hand or the hand of the almighty God who controls the galaxies? It says, I'll give you one more chance. See, here's the reality. No one's denying that pressures don't exist at these times. And... Um, these three young guys, I'm sure, again, they, they would have rationalized all these things. That, that, well, I've got faith, but if God just let me go down this one time, just a quick one in front of the king, I can carry on. I won't have to do it behind closed doors. Now, actually, sometimes more important what you do behind closed doors. Yeah. It says, actually, in this faith that works on what circumstance you're in or what situation you're in or what, what, what realities lie in front of you, that faith gets watered down. There's nothing like compromise to rip out the juice of our faith, the power of our faith. There's nothing like it. And your family are watching, the people around you are watching. And here's the thing, God is calling you generally to impact the people you don't even know are watching. That in one year or two years or five years or ten years time, when things go down in their life and they are looking for a north, they are looking for something straight, they are looking for something that has held a line and they see Jesus in your life, they are looking for you. Because one day you made a decision to glorify God over the opinions of men. Yeah. This is what Daniel's about. He's saying, well, how do you engage? I love that, that even when, when Daniel was confronting the king and he was going to bring his, his dream to the king, when the king wanted to kill all the wise men, the Bible says actually he came to the king with wisdom and tact. Yeah. See, I'm not saying it's not important how you engage the world and I'm not going in a stripped up No. You've got to have wisdom and tact to engage the kings of the world. Why? So actually the people of God can get exalted. The king of God, the king, can be exalted in this story. It's incredibly important. And let me just make it really real for us. What's the date? It's, it's late November. It's Christmas party time. 
Maybe some of you even on the planning teams for the Christmas parties. I know because I was on the planning team once for the Christmas party. Everyone thought I was a good guy for the Christmas party planning. And I got really excited for the Christmas party because the budget was X and the designation was X. And we were going to have the biggest time of our lives. Until I went to my first Christmas party, which I was on the planning team for. Which I didn't understand why it started at 12 and no one drove their own cars there. Because by 4 o'clock everyone was smashed. Can we say smashed at your church, Gabriel? Can, can I say that? Okay. I mean, completely gone. And it hoppers forward, quarter to five, and good processing. I plan to be there all night, dancing with my mates. But all my mates who were generally so quiet, and I was the loud one, now were ten times louder than me, kind of like the seven times hotter furnace, and, and I've got a decision to make. Is this actually a good place for me to be? Right now. Is this actually helpful for my witness? Is this actually somehow me being here? Really, maybe there's someone who needs to have a conversation. Well, the reality is no one could have a compass mentor's conversation. So I decided to leave. And I didn't shout it out, hey, I'm leaving you bunch of sinners. No, you just leave. <laughs> this is real. These are guys you work with. These are your bosses. You're called to honor and they've given you opportunities. And as I'm leaving... There's this very awkward moment as one of my senior executives walks out of a bush with a young lady I just happen to work with. And there's a very awkward moment that we all just decided to walk past. So let's play this out, guys, because this is the world you live in Monday to Friday. This is the world that you're called to influence. This is the world you're called to bring Jesus to. And you've got decisions to make. And you know what? They're your calls. It's your call. Stop putting in someone else's call. My boss made me stay there. No, your boss doesn't have control over where you can and don't have to go. I'm just being honest. You can leave your job. I'm just being honest. You've got to make decisions. The gospel demands it of us. And I know this feels like a heavy word, but I read Daniel. It was a pretty heavy situation. Death was at stake. And trust me, I, I, I love my mates. I've got mates I've walked with since six years old. They thought it was great to have their mate go to church on Sunday night, you know, but as long as we could keep it real on Saturday night and we could hang out until that mate decided to leave his job and go work for the church. Now you become a nutcase. Like, what has happened to you? I had to get over that. You're going to have to get over some stuff too in your journey and understanding that God has a story for you and your faith looks like something to those who are watching. It looks like something. It takes a shape and a form and they remember it. Point number three, it's your call. And I mentioned this already, but I'm going to say it again. We live in a world where people love to be commentators and critics and get on with a whole bunch of stuff, but too easy to kick into a story, well, I was just a victim. Just a victim. Just, ah, oh, I was just at the party, and then my senior female boss threw me on a bar counter and started sucking tequila out of my navel. Some of you are laughing because it's true stories. That was the environment I worked in. That was the environment I worked in. And yet God called me to shine for him there. And I still have relationships and I've had opportunities to minister to some of those stories that ended up broken and bruised down the line. And it wasn't condemning and it wasn't critiquing. I'm not standing, well, you shouldn't be doing that and you really shouldn't be doing that. And get off him. That's not my job. But I do have a job to represent Christ and to engage and to walk these fine lines that, guys, no one can tell you about, but it's still your decision. 
Every time you have a decision to make, it's still your call. No one's taking the call. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have this possibility and they have this decision to make. Do we fall down and just do a simple thing like worship? Everyone's doing it. It's the rage. Or do we face a fiery furnace? They answer, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We're okay at the back there. I love your majesty. I think it's so Cheeky, it's like we're being so disrespectful. We're still going to call you your majesty. See, they're saying, you know what they're not saying and what I was looking for? I was looking for, hey, we were sleeping last night. I had a dream that God would bring the situation. There would be a fire and God would take us to the other side. I was looking for that. Or what about the other one? Someone prophesied 16 years ago that there would be a fire in my life and I would walk right through it. I'm not trying to bring anything of those down. I'm just trying to say, actually, more important than anything is who God says he is. God says he is the deliverer. God says he is more than able. God says that he created wind, fire, ocean, and that he is mightier to save. And I don't need anything else. When I face these scenarios, I place my trust in God, not knowing the outcome. Faith isn't knowing the outcome. Faith is trusting the only one who can affect the outcome. And I have a decision to make in that. And so do you. It's your call. Three young men doing well in a foreign land trying to stand on the promise that God is able. And they made a call. And then two more things. God's protection follows faith. And I'm not going to read the scripture, but the king stands and says, Hey, look, didn't we send three guys in there? Yeah, we did. But why are there four? Where did the protection of God kick in? Oh, they were walking, and then next minute there was like this Hollywood fire guard came over, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they walked in. No, in the fire, God's with them. In the fire. Stop trying to avoid the fires. Fires are part of our story. The fires are part of Him getting His glory in our lives. The fires are part of our journey with Jesus. I can't water it down for you. I, I would be doing you a disservice to say it's anything else. But, but God didn't stop them by throwing. throwing. No, he's, he gives us 2 Corinthians 5 and says, We walk by faith, not by sight. See, by sight there's a fire. By faith, God is greater than a fire. It's a different thing. And God says, not only that, I will provide, I will sustain you. Matthew 28, in this big story, cast your cares onto the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That is either a lie or it is true. There is no middle ground. And faith is choosing to believe the promises of God. And it determines our other responses. He will deliver us. And the last one, God's promotion follows faith. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. How did it get there? How quickly did that whole dynamic turn? See, they, they might have seen promotion even if they'd bowed. Here's what you've got to deal with. It could look the same afterwards even if they'd bowed to that thing. They could have been promoted. But this way, they worshipped their God. He got all the glory. And his guys got promoted in a foreign land where they shouldn't have got any promotion. We're so caught up in circumstances, so caught up with fires, so caught up with challenges. And God says, will you get caught up with me? 
Will you get captivated maybe? Will you trust me? I'm going to read that Jim Simbler quote again. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on my behalf. I've walked too much with God. To, I've seen too many things. To not read this book of Daniel and say, actually, God, you're calling me to walk a road that is different to the world, but that will call the world to see you and to give you all the glory. Our faith has actually played out on very few fields. My faith has not played out. I, I, I don't pray while I'm driving. I need Jesus to get me there. My faith has played on a few fields. It's the fields of people's impressions, the fields of self, the fields of sexuality. The feels of, actually, I'm young, I should experiment. I deserve that. God will forgive me. And yet, the kind of Christianity this book demands, this book of Daniel, is a come what may Christianity. A come what may. Uh, To preach it any softer than that is to not preach the book. Young people, I, I, I look at this, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God, as I see young men and women making decisions to plant themselves. I'm overwhelmed. And yet, I want to tell you, it's going to demand some things of you. It's going to demand big things of you. Come what may. Can I pray for us? Is that right? Anything else? Yeah? Sorry. Years ago, um, that scripture gripped me, Daniel chapter 3, that response of them in the fire. They said, our God can save us. Our God will save us. Absolute confidence in him. And then they said this third thing that disturbed my comfort. And even if he does not, we won't bow. I thought that was the greatest theology I've ever heard about healing, about trial, about persecution, about fear. Our God can. He will But we have the only thing that's in our response is even if he does not, what is your decision? I believe Mark has led us to that sort of thing. Some of you are in fires of pressure financially, and you're going to try and make a plan to survive. But actually, God can provide. He will provide. But even if he does not, what is your response going to be? Determined on who he is. Some of you in the the fires of sexuality, the fires of pressure, fires of of sickness, fires things that are just bigger than your situation now. What will your response be? to that question today. I believe Mark is going to pray for us now, but I pray that that would shape our theology. God can, he will, but you and I can get to decide today, even if he does not, how will I respond? Jesus, so captivated by your goodness in our lives, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we are not positioned in this world to isolate ourselves, to hear of this great secret, to hold it for ourselves, that one day when we can be with you for eternity, you've called us to to give to this world, to love people in this world, to see many more come to know your grace and your goodness. I thank you, Lord, that even in this moment, you'll give wisdom and tact, where wisdom and tact haven't been part of people's stories. Give it to us now. Pray for young men and women in this place, navigating careers, navigating work environments, navigating difficult situations. I pray, God, give wisdom and tact. And then, God, give us courage. I look at these young men in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had everything to lose, and yet we're reading of them 3,000 years later because of courage. 
And I thank you for that, God. And I want my life to not fade away without seeing your mighty hand move in my life, Father. I pray, God, that you would put within us a resilience, a resilience based not on our ability to bounce back, but on your ability and what you finished on that cross. Settle it in every heart. Settle it in every mind. I pray where there's wrestling, even this morning, God, and even the, the, the examples I used might just be too real, God. I pray, would you give wisdom and tact? Would you give strategies? Would you give the ability to continue to love individuals and people well beyond our walls of this church, God? Would you give us ability to speak your word? Would you give prophetic insight into situations and circumstances? And I pray, God, would you have all your glory, all the honor, all the praise at this time? We worship you, King Jesus. I thank you for the city of Cape Town. And even as we preach the book of Daniel, I pray, give us the city of Cape Town for your glory, God. I pray salvation after salvation. We ask for revival in the city, God. Why, God? Because you are king and you are able and you are mighty to save. From the darkest places, you are mighty to save. We give you all the praise, all the honor, God. Amen.